I don't know if you heard about a guy whose life was just going great. He loved God and God had been blessing and he felt the blessings of God in powerful, amazing ways. And he lived out that truth that I love, that whenever you get blessed, you're blessed to be a blessing. And and by the way, Jesus said these words, it's more blessed to give than receive. And so what happens is when God blesses you, you bless God, bless others, and you start a cycle of blessing because you are giving and now you're more blessed, which means you bless again. So God was blessing him. So he blessed God, but he thought, you know who I want to bless most? My mom and dad. His parents had been there for him. They had worked hard. They had sacrificed so he could get to where he was in his life at this point. And he told his wife, he said, honey, I want to bless mom and dad. And she said, let's do it. She goes, how can we do it? He said, you know, they hardly ever do anything for themselves. Let's send them on a cruise. And he did. Uh, He arranged the cruise. He got it all ready. They surprised them. They upgraded their cabin and, and said, we just want you to have the time of your life. So the weekend cruise was coming up. They got them all packed. They drove down to the port, helped them get on the ship. And they left so excited. They were on cloud nine, not because they were getting something, because they were giving something back to his mom and dad. Well, when the time came to go pick them up, they show up at the ship. They cannot wait to hear all about it. And his mom and dad come walking down the gangplank and towards them and through security And they looked horrible. And he looked at him and he said, Mom, Dad, are you okay? And they looked at him and said, Oh, we are starving. We are so hungry. And he said, How could you be hungry? And they said, Because all we had was crackers the whole weekend. uh, And we were just dying because we saw all that food, but we couldn't afford that food. And and so we couldn't even start on that. And, And he goes, Oh, no. He goes, Dad, Mom, the food was free. You could have had all you want. It was all free. It's a cruise. It's free. And, and his, his mom and dad almost starved to death on that cruise with, with buffets in front of them, uh, order to, you know, custom order meals available, uh, 24 hour service. And they were starving to death. You know why they were starving? Because of lack of knowledge and because of fear. Uh, right now, I want to ask you if that's you. See, God has promised to be there for you. Jesus has said, I have come that you might have life and have life abundantly. Listen to that again. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. Uh, By the way, the word abundantly, if you've been in our teaching, uh, literally means beyond extraordinary. Jesus said, I want you to have a beyond extraordinary life. And, And so God's offering it to you. And some of you guys, I want to tell you, listen, you're just getting by. And lack of knowledge of God and, and, and not, not having the courage to step out and claim his promises is, is hurting you right now. And so what you need to know is Jesus is saying, I want to be with you. It's not always going to be easy. There'll be challenges, but, but I'll be with you. My power will be with you. My peace will pass understanding. My joy will overflow your life and heart. I will give you the Holy Spirit. So it's like rivers of living water coming out. And, and you know what? It's like that couple on the cruise ship. You, they could have had it all. They could have had whatever they wanted and more. And they just didn't know. They just didn't know. And they were too afraid to find out. I don't want you to be afraid to find out. A.W. Tozer said this. By the way, if you don't know who he is, A.W. Tozer is an incredibly famous Bible scholar, a man who teaches God's word uh, in an incredible way. If you ever want to read good stuff on the Bible, read Tozer, T-O-Z-E-R. But A.W. Tozer said this. He said, the will of God is like being on a cruise ship. The ship's route is predetermined, and yet you have choices on the ship. Listen to that again. Uh, he says that, that the will of God, understanding God's will behind the scenes, uh, the series we're in, is how you can see behind the scenes and understand God's will and God's ways and God working in your life. But he said it's like a cruise ship. So when you and I get on a cruise ship, uh, we have no choice over the predetermined route of the trip. Uh, it is going to go where it's going to go. There's a captain you might see or might not see, a crew you mostly won't see, and they are guiding the ship on a predetermined course. And you can't influence that, and you can't affect that. 
But while you're on the ship, you have tons of choices. Uh, you could choose which cabin you want to be in. Uh, you could choose to upgrade your cabin. Uh, you could choose what recreational activities you want to do. You could choose to sleep in or get up early. You could choose to exercise <laughs> or not. Uh, uh, a lot of people on cruises love to exercise. Uh, others don't. Uh, you could choose to uh, either be on your own or, or in fellowship with other passengers. You could choose what you want to eat. And on most cruise ships, as much as you want to eat. And, and you could customize it or just go for it at the buffet. And you could choose the hours you want to eat. Uh, see, here's the thing about a cruise. There's so much to do, so much to experience. But you can't, you can't do anything to influence the route of the, of the boat, uh, the route of the ship. Uh, and so Tozier says, that's what it's like for you and me. Uh, your ship's route is predetermined. Your choices will not affect the ship's predetermined course and the destinations it docks at. See, that's what's going on in life. God has a sovereign will and he's taking us in a direction he wants to take us. And you and I cannot affect the sovereign will of God. Uh, I've had people ask me, and I, I've mentioned before the answer, but let me tell you. Some people have said, Pastor Chuck, do you believe the COVID crisis is a God's sovereign will for what should be happening in the world at this time? And I believe yes with all my heart I do. Uh, God promised, Jesus promised in the last days, and we're in the last days, that one of the signs, and there are many signs of his coming, are, are going to be global pandemics. I think this is one of them. And I think God is doing this for many reasons. One is he wants to, to cause us to open our eyes and look to him. Uh, the other is he wants to judge the world uh, for some things that are going on. And I believe it's a part of judging the world. And if you don't think this world needs to be judged, hang on a couple more weeks. We'll talk about that. But I believe God is at work. I think another reason this is from him is he wants especially all of us who are believers. And if you're not a believer, I am so glad you're on because listen to what he wants believers to know. He wants us to know we're in the last days. And uh, there are many things along with this that show that we are. And he wants us to know the times we live in so we'll be ready. That actually is a blessing from God. And most of all, he wants all of us depending on him. And this is a time that, that probably maybe you have thought about that, man. Am I really depending on God and trusting in God? Uh, and, and so what I want to tell you, though, is we, we are on a predetermined path. This world is, uh, this earth is, this population of the world is, all the nations of the world are. And, and God is guiding us on that. But in the midst of it, in the midst of God's sovereign will, what do you have? You have free will to make choice because that's what's called his permissive will. So we talked already about God has a sovereign will uh, that cannot be changed. God also has a permissive will, which means you have permission from God to choose whether you want to follow God's will or not. Uh, so God has a sovereign will that can't be changed or altered, but, but he does have, he does have a permissive will that allows you to make a change. But I want you to know that in the midst of that, God will at times, and, and I want to use that word will. He will at times interact and maybe interfere in your life so that you have to think about the choices you're making. The Bible promises if a believer begins to fall away, God will put a stumbling block to make him trip up so that he has to think about where he's going or she's going. God may give you a dream. God may uh, have your car break down to keep something from happening or, or to make you have to consider something. God, God gets involved in a way you might be surprised. So he will interact and interfere in our lives while still giving us permission to choose. Uh, we're going to see a case study on that. And it's about um, a king named Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is real man who lived at a real time. Historically, he existed. He was the leader of the Babylonian Empire, one of the most powerful empires of the ancient world that actually, uh, through Nebuchadnezzar, had some of the uh, wonders, the wonders of the ancient world, like the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. 
Uh, Babylonian Empire was powerful. They were considered at one point invincible. And the city of Babylon was considered impregnable. And, and you know what? They thought they, they were at the top that could never come down. They thought that they would be invincible and undefeated. By the way, for a while, God gave them permission to be that way. But God one day would take it away. Because he had a predetermined course that would go from the Babylonian Empire to the Medo-Persian Empire. If you've been studying in Isaiah with us, where a man named Cyrus would rise up. And Isaiah told us his name 150 years before he lived. That he would lead the, the, the Medo-Persian Empire. And he did. 150 years before he was born. Isaiah named him by name. And he did everything Isaiah said he would do because that was part of God's predetermined will, his predetermined course, his sovereignty. But in the midst of it all, listen to what it says. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. The king's heart is like Channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. And what Nebuchadnezzar was going to discover, and by the way, what some of our world leaders and national leaders and state leaders and county leaders need to be aware of is that God may determine to intervene and interfere with what they're doing so that he can guide the direction he wants us to go. So we have a degree of choice and a lot of choice but God is going to interfere and intervene. So what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar had reached a, the, uh, an incredible height of popularity and power. His wealth had gone beyond anything he can imagine. He had had victory after victory after victory. And then God wanted to get his attention. So God shook him up by giving him a dream. And the dream filled him with fear. See, Nebuchadnezzar could not hide from the hand of God or the moving of God or the dream God would have him have that he couldn't shake, he couldn't let go of, he couldn't forget. And so what happened is he called for all the wise men to come so they could tell him the meaning of the dream. And I, I love this. Uh, we're actually in Daniel chapter four. So know this, mark down in your notes, Daniel chapter four. But, but in verse eight, it says this, then Daniel finally came. By the way, when you look at verse eight, underline that word because it's really important. Nebuchadnezzar said, Daniel finally came. Finally I got all these other guys here, but none of them compared to you, Daniel. Daniel, where were you? I mean, he was, where is Daniel? And he said, I got to get to him. Daniel, Daniel's got to help me. Daniel's got to tell me. Why? Because he knew that Daniel had a connection to God, the real God, the living God, the sovereign God, the true God. He had a, he had a real relationship with him. And he trusted in that. And so what happened, Daniel finally came. Have you ever had a moment like that? Where are they? And you finally showed up and finally came. And then he told him in the dream, he said, Daniel, here's what I dreamed. I dreamed there was a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great, greater than all the trees. The tree was huge and incredible and all of the animals were under it for shade. Now in this dream, all the animals came under it for shade. And then I love this term. Get ready for it. Nebuchadnezzar said, Then an angelic watcher appeared and proclaimed. Now, I think this is important not to miss. The literal Hebrew is, Then a watcher, a holy one, appeared. Now, this is an angel. And there are different categories that angels are in or different responsibilities that angels have. This angel is called a watcher. And, and there are angels who watch over people and over cities and over nations. Every nation has an angel that watches over it. Every city has an angel that watches over it. I believe you have an angel that watches over you. And I know for sure, get ready for this, your children have angels that watch over them. The watcher. And, and he said this, the angel appeared. And, and listen to the words in Daniel chapter 4. It says... The, the watcher, he shouted out and spoke as follows, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it 
and the birds from its branches. So all the animals and all the beasts and all the birds are scattering in his dream. Don't miss these. This is a dream. And he's watching all this happen. Verse 15, and the watcher says, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new uh, around it in the new grass of the field and let him up till now it was a tree let him don't miss that word him let him be drenched with dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts and the grass of the earth let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers. And the decision is a command of the holy ones. In order that the living may know that the most high is the ruler over the realm of mankind. And bestows it on whomever he wishes. And sets it. Sets over it the lowliest of men. Uh, Parentheses moment. Before we dive back in. uh, The election is coming. Uh, and I want to say this, in the end, God will decide who's in. Uh, that's it. Uh, by the way, it could be for good or not good. I, sometimes God does that to punish us. So I'm not getting into politics. I'm just telling you that God, in the end, will make the decision on who gets to lead this land. And, and what God was telling Nebuchadnezzar is, you only are allowed to do what you're doing because I've allowed it. If I didn't want you as king, you would not be king. You could not do anything to stop my decision. So he said, Nebuchadnezzar, you're like that huge tree. And notice he switched the wording in the midst of the punishment of the tree. Him, him, him. When Daniel heard this, he became frightened. He became so afraid that Nebuchadnezzar could see the fear on his face. And he said, Daniel, tell me. Daniel, tell me what it means. Tell me what it means. And going on in Daniel chapter 4, Daniel says this. He said, this is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree which Most High has come upon my Lord, the king. God has made a decision to interfere and intervene in your life. He goes, that you may be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the earth and you will be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched in the dew of heaven and seven periods of time will pass over you. Notice these words. I've got it in the, in the, in the box. Look at that. Until. Seven periods of time will pass over you until, until, until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. God gives it to whoever he chooses. Nebuchadnezzar, you have no choice in that. If God makes a call, and God's about to make the call for seven periods of time. Therefore, O king, Daniel, Daniel loves Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Look at this next two words. Break away. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of prosperity, of your prosperity. Daniel loved this man. And he said, I don't want this to happen to you. I don't want you to undergo this. I don't want this to be your fate. So I'm telling you what to do. Please listen to my advice. Please listen to my advice. Break away now from your sins. See, in verse 25, he said, I, you need to recognize something. And if you don't break away from your sin for seven periods of time, seven years, you're going to live like an animal, eating grass like an ox. And he said, why? Because you are not recognizing that God is the ruler. So if God does this to you, it will happen until you recognize God is ruler and God bestows rule on whomever he wishes. And here's a big key. God is totally sovereign. We've talked about this before. God is God and he's not applying for the job. God is totally sovereign. So interestingly, Daniel said, but you don't have to let this happen. See, God has a predetermined will going this way, but you have permission in the midst of it to to not have to undergo the hurt, the pain, the discipline, the chastisement, because you could do something. You have a choice. You could break off the sin. You could break away from the sin. 
By the way, I want to say that to all of us right now, to you, to me, all of us, to the person next to you, to your friends who are watching in another place. You can break away or break off sin. The Hebrew word that's there is a very interesting Hebrew word. It's parak. Think about that word. Break away is parak. Uh, it literally means smash and, and to destroy, uh, to break, not in pieces, but to shatter completely. It's to break off or crush. It even sounds like it, parak. <laughs> it sounds like it, right? My, uh, um, I have two sons and my youngest is named Tim. And I think when he was about four years old or five years old, he was totally into army men and stuff like that, especially Transformers, by the way. Uh, he was totally loved to play with those. Uh, Pam at the time had, had a, a collection of precious moment figurines. I don't even know if you know what they are, but they were ceramic figurines uh, that were actually had a Christian background to them. Uh, so they were these little children with big eyes and represented stories in the Bible and verses and promises of God. And so they actually, they were kind of expensive. Uh, and so, uh, by the way, Pam's watching right now. They were expensive, huh? And so Pam had a collection of them. And one of the, the favorite ones Pam had was the angel at the tomb, the empty tomb, where uh, Jesus, you know, had risen from. So this cute angel would sit out in front of the tomb. And uh, one day I was walking by the precious moments and I bumped the, the table it was on and the head just comes rolling off. <laughs> and I was like, what? I mean, this angel was decapitated. The head just goes rolling and I catch it before it gets paracked or smashed into pieces that, that would be uh, unable to put it back together. And I'm looking at it and I, I thought, Tim, Tim. And I called him in and I've got the head in my hand. <laughs> he got big wide eyes. He had wanted to play army men with a, an angel in front of the tomb. And so they were fighting it out and he broke off its head. <laughs> you know, it was, yeah. Um, um, Pam actually did think it was funny, by the way. Uh, but, but here's what happened is the good news, it wasn't parocked. It was just broken off the head. We were able to glue it back. Now it was obviously not going to be worth what it was. But here's the point. That's not the breaking God's calling for. God, through Daniel, is telling Nebuchadnezzar, smash it, destroy it. You can. You have the choice. You have the permission from God to choose to do his will and not do your own will any longer. You have permission from God to break away sin. Please don't miss that. God is telling you, you can stop the sin. You can stop the anger. You can stop the immorality. You could stop the selfishness. You could stop the worry. You could stop the complaining. You could stop being mean. But if you don't, you'll suffer the consequence. Because God has put supernatural laws in place just like he has put natural laws in place. And one of those supernatural laws is this. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. If you sow love and good things, you'll reap that. If you sow faithfulness to God, you'll reap that. You have the choice. But if you don't, if you sow sin, mean-spiritedness, uh, holding grudges, uh, addiction, um, fear. If you sow those things, selfishness, God says you'll reap that. There's a price to pay. And by the way, the little bit of sin you're sowing will give birth to something bigger, more painful. And God has given you permission to choose. It is God's will for you to choose the good, but you can choose the bad. It is God's will for you to choose freedom, but you could choose bondage. It's God's will for you to choose together for your marriage, to fight for your marriage. Or one of you could choose to go in sin. Some of you need to break off relationships that are not good. Some of you need to break off from things that aren't helpful. Um, some of you are single and you are in a dysfunctional relationship. 
And you know, you know, God is looking at you going, what are you doing in this relationship? I uh, one time was talking to a single person and they said the person they're dating and they began to describe how they were treating them and how they were acting and how, how bad the relationship was. And I'm like, it's clear, paracket, break it off. Don't just cut off the head, destroy the whole thing. So you can't go back. By the way, I'm not talking about meanly. I'm talking about just putting an end to it. They didn't do it. So the next three months were bad. The next six months were bad. And what I told them, I'm wondering what you're missing out on during this six-month period of time. What is it you're not getting blessed with? What is not happening? It's like you're on the cruise ship with all the things you could have, and you're sitting in your cabin with crackers, with the crumbs. And uh, God doesn't want that for you. So, you know, in that moment, in that moment, Daniel is saying, Nebuchadnezzar, you don't have to undergo what's about to happen. You don't have to experience all the horror that's coming your way. You have free will to break it off. See, all of us have free will to break it off, to smash it up, to not be a part of it. Way back in the Old Testament, the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, uh, there was a man named Cain. Uh, Cain was the son of Adam and Eve, and he had a brother named Abel. And he's about to do something bad to Abel. Murder. And God, God intervenes and lets him know you have a choice. And in chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, look at that, if, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Won't you feel better? Won't you start smiling? Won't you be happy? And by the way, the answer is yeah. But if you do not do well, if you do not do well, it's a choice. Sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Uh, By the way, the idea that you can't miss there is God said, you can master it. You can have control. I'm telling you, uh, there's a permissive will moment here. And Cain, I know the right thing for you to do, but you're going to have to choose. If you choose right, good things are coming. And Cain chose wrong. And it followed him the rest of his life. That sin would follow him and, a, and chase after him and, and crouch at the door upon him and seize him the rest of his life. So God, God is saying to Cain, don't do it. God through Daniel is saying to Nebuchadnezzar, don't do it. God may be saying to you right now about some of the things, don't do it. Choose to follow me. Choose to sow good things. Choose that life. I'm giving you permission to choose. So choose life. Choose life. Choose life. See, Nebuchadnezzar didn't break off the sins. God gave him a period of time to think about it. And then it happened. One day he's standing on the walls and bam, he loses his mind. By the way, he had a breakdown. He had a mental health crisis that God had brought on him, which I think is so intriguing. He could have struck him with physical disease, but he struck him with a mental health issue called boanthropy. Uh, By the way, this is a very real mental health issue. Uh, it's a di- there's a real diagnosis called boanthropy. It's where a person thinks they're an ox or a cow. And, and interestingly, it, it, this is what we don't understand about boanthropy. Your hair starts growing like crazy. It grows excessively. Your nails grow like crazy. They grow excessively. Not because you're not even taking care of them. I mean, all over your body, your hair grows, your nails grow. And then a person with boanthropy has a craving to eat grass like an ox or a cow. And you can't keep a person like that confined very easily. So Nebuchadnezzar was struck with a very real diagnosable mental health problem where he went out in the fields and it would be for seven years that he would 
sleep at night and wake up drenched in dew, exactly like God said. His hair would grow out and become matted. He would live like an animal. And, and here's what we believe. This is not for sure, but we believe this. How did he not lose the kingdom during those seven years? How did someone else not take his place? How did someone else? Because back in those times, like, like any time, there are other people who are jockeying and positioning themselves, wanting to take over rule. And you know what? I believe that God had Daniel know that dream so God could have Daniel protect him. Matter of fact, most of us believe that. Because there's no other way he would have kept the kingdom. God wanted to discipline in him. God wanted to interfere and intervene in his life and his rule to get his attention. But he also had grace. God had grace. And he limited how much Nebuchadnezzar could lose. That, that was a predetermined will of God. Uh, the ship had to go that way. But in the midst of it, instead of feasting and celebrating, Nebuchadnezzar would be an animal. He would literally lose his mind. But what happens? He learned his lesson. Uh, he learned his lesson. And here's what it says in Daniel chapter four. It says, but the end, the end of the period, at the end of seven years, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, he's talking now. He's sharing what happened. I raised my eyes towards heaven and my reason returned to me. I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. By the way, listen to that. Nebuchadnezzar said, I realize something now. Uh, God is so huge, majestic, and vast that all the inhabitants of the earth together are nothing in, 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 in aspect and reference to him. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hands or say to him, what have you done? Did you catch what Nebuchadnezzar said? He goes, here's what I've learned in seven years of being crazy, that the only sane thing is to know who God is. The only sane thing is to understand that I need to humble myself before God because his dominion is everlasting. His kingdom endures for generation to generation. Uh, he does according to his will among the inhabitants of the earth and in the host of heaven. Today in Isaiah 45, uh, if you were in our journal, uh, you saw that God clearly, God clearly determined the course of the world. And he named Cyrus by name, who had head the Medo-Persian empire. And the Medo-Persians were, were ordained by God to take down the Babylonian empire. And Cyrus was ordained to rule and to bring the Jews out of Babylonian captivity and put them back in their land. All that was predetermined by God. And God chose to interfere and intervene in the Medo-Persian kingdom too. He does that in kingdoms, he does that in empires, and he does that in your family, and he does that in your friendships, and he does that in your life. And he does it in mine. God does. And this whole idea behind the scenes is you and I recognize not only that God does do this, but try to recognize when God does this. But in the midst of it all, we have a lesson to learn, just like Nebuchadnezzar. You can sin or not sin. And by the way, that word sin's a big, big word. Filled with lots of pain and disappointment and heartbreak. And so God is saying, listen to this. No one can ward off God's sovereign will, but God does give the freedom to choose, which is called his permissive will. Um, and God does get involved. Uh, I shared this a little earlier, but I want to go a little more detailed in this uh, about a particular uh, woman I know. Uh, she uh, I, uh, I had a love for God. She was in a, in a college-age ministry in the church. Uh, she graduated. She ended up getting an incredible job. I mean, she had trained for this. She had interned for this, and she got the position. It was the dream job, and and she and her friends couldn't believe it. But what happened is we had a really good snow that year here in California and all the ski resorts opened 
And her friends, who some of still were in college, some had gotten jobs, said, hey, let's go skiing. We'll go up and get a cabin in the mountains. We'll go up on Thursday, ski Friday, ski through the weekend. And she goes, I can't. I can't. I mean, I just started my job. I don't get time off yet. And they go, come on, you can't miss out on this. This is an amazing snowpack. If you're not uh, in our area, we don't always get those. And so she just thought, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And even though she was a Christian, she called into work and said she was sick. So they go up into the mountains. They check into their cabin together, and it's awesome. They head over to the snow, the slopes to hit the ski runs, and it's either the first or second run down, and actually I think it was the first one. She goes down hard. I mean, she goes down bad and breaks her leg, and it's not just a minor break. The ski patrol would have to come and get her. They would have to take her down on a sled. An ambulance would have to take her to the hospital. And by the way, she had started her job so soon, her medical insurance had not kicked in yet. So she's going to have to pay for this all by herself. But she's laying in the emergency room in a hospital. And she thought, I can't believe it. Because you know what? When I show up to work with a full cast on my leg, they're going to know I wasn't just sick. She goes, I'm caught. And what hurt her most, what bothered her most was that she knew as a Christian she shouldn't have lied. And she even wondered, God, did you do this to me? You see, the Bible says in Numbers 32, verse 23, surely your sin will find you out. Surely your sin will find you out. So here's what we need to know is God does interfere and God does intervene. In Proverbs 20, verse 24, it says, man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his ways? So here's the question. Was it God's will for her to call in sick? No, but it it was his permission, his permissive will. She could choose to do something that was sinful. Uh, was her leg being broken God's will? Uh, this may surprise you. I think it could have been. And she actually thinks it was. She thinks God probably said to an angel, a watcher, take her out. Take her out. Uh, and her leg broke badly. And uh, was it God's will she would have to confess at work what she had done? For sure. So laying in an emergency room, in incredible pain, knowing that she was going to mount up debt like she couldn't believe. In, in her area, the curtains open and walks a doctor. He's young. He's incredibly good looking. But she doesn't even hardly notice. She's laying there so filled with guilt and shame over what she had done as a believer. And he looked at her and he said, hey, uh, your leg is bad. And she said, I know. And he goes, you look like you're in a lot of pain. And she said, my leg hurts, but that's, that's not what hurts the most. And he said, well, what hurts the most? Where else do you hurt? She said, my heart is broken because of what I've done. She goes, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. And I just got a job and I called in sick and lied to him. And... Um, I'm probably going to lose my job. But what, I, what really hurts is I made it so clear I was a Christian. So I definitely lose my witness. And this young doctor looked at her and said, oh my. He said, you really are serious about your faith. She said, I am. I love Jesus. And he looked at her and said, guess what? I'm brand new in the area. I'm a Christian too. He said, uh, where do you live? And she named the city. And he said, oh, I'm not that far from there. I actually had to stay out with some friends. I'm close to where you're at, and I commute in. He said, "Um, can I go to church with you? And she's like, yeah, that would be great. And uh, he said, you know what? I I think I want to go to a church where you go to. And so she told him when they met and the time and that dress and and everything. He uh, oversaw her care and getting her ready and and getting her to be able to leave the hospital with a full full leg cast. And uh, she she ended up going. That Sunday, he showed up for church and he met her. And they sat together. (laughs) And uh, he said, how are you feeling? And she said, well, tomorrow's the day of reckoning. And he said, well, let me pray with you about it. 
He said, but what are you going to do? And she said, I'm going to be completely honest. He said, good, be completely honest. And she did. She went into work. She right away told her boss. He could see what was going on. She said, I, I'm not going to make an excuse. I'm not even going to try to lie. I, I lied about being sick. I called in sick. I shouldn't have done it. I know it may cost me my job. And you know what? You have every right to fire me. But I want to tell you, I am sorry. And I'm more sorry that I told you I was a Christian and did something like this. And I never should have. And her boss said, okay. He said, well, I can't just let this go. Um, We are going to write you up. Uh, This will be in your file, right in the beginning of your personnel file. He said, but I'm going to let this go because I think you've already paid a pretty big price. And uh, I think you could be great around here, but just don't do it again. She said, I won't. She couldn't believe she didn't lose her job. She thought that was God. The break was God and God's hand was on her. It was God. And, and she got home and she called the doctor and the doctor, he wanted her to, he goes, so what did they do? And she told him and he said, you know, we ought to celebrate that. And they started doing things together. And I'm not kidding. True story. They end up falling in love. They end up having an incredible relationship together. And, uh, they ended up getting married and having kids, all of which was God's will too. Uh, I believe, she believes, he believes God's or sovereign will was to bring them together. Yeah, they had permission whether to come together or not, but God brought them together. So God did his will in the midst of it all. See, in the midst of everything, God has a sovereign will to turn everything that happens, good or bad, everything that happens, good or bad, to good if you love him and if you live your life according to his purpose. That's what Daniel was pleading for Nebuchadnezzar to know, is you don't have to go through that. God is about to interfere and intervene, but you don't have to go through it. You could choose to learn the lesson before God gets there. But in Romans 8.28, God causes it to turn to good for Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, In Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Notice, you can choose your destiny to be conformed to the image of Jesus or choose not to. But God's destiny is for you to be like Jesus. Then it goes and says, so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. If you love God, you live your life according to his purpose. God said, I'll cause all things to turn together for good. If you go the other direction, God at some point, I believe, is going to interfere and intervene. But in the end, what is God's great call for you? You may not even realize this. It ought to be your goal. So if this isn't your goal, tonight choose to make it your goal. To be like Jesus. To choose with the choices he would make. To say the words he would say. To live the life that he would live if he were in your place. Be like Jesus. Because God said, I'll take everything that happens and let you be conformed into the image of Jesus. And if you are Christ-like, you are going to live life on the cruise ship that is abundant and beyond extraordinary. Um, The story is told that when Michelangelo wanted to actually do the sculpture of David, one of the most famous things he would ever do, which is huge if you've ever seen it. It's amazingly big, an incredible uh, piece of art. Then he saw that huge piece of granite and he sat and stared at it and he sat and stared at it day after day after day. And one of his students came in and said, why aren't you working? And Michelangelo said, oh, I am working. I'm looking for David in that piece of rock and then I will chip away everything that's not him. Do you know what God is saying to you and me? I'm working. God looks at me and says, Chuck, I'm seeing how much of you is Jesus, is like Jesus, and I want to chip everything else away. So he'll interfere and intervene to do that in my life. And it might be painful getting chipped away. And he's looking at you as a a single man or a single woman, 
as a mom or as a dad, as a husband or as a wife, as a worker, as a friend, most of all as a Christian. He's wondering what, what needs to be chipped away, what needs to be happen. See, God, God will let you make choices in the end, but what he's going to always do is try to bring out the best for you. Uh, God will use our failures to teach us. He'll use our circumstances to shape us. He'll use our trials to refine us because that's God's sovereign will. But he gives you permission for how much of it you want to have to take place. Job 23 verse 8 says this, Behold, I go forward and he, God, is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. He acts on the left and I cannot behold him. He turns on the right and I cannot see him. But he knows the way I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. So even some of those trials and pains and hurts and challenges, they may be God's sovereign will to make you better. To chip away what's not Christ. Another story I think about a lot is the story of a goldsmith. Uh, he had a man apprentice underneath him, and the apprentice was watching him melt the gold down and get it beyond boiling hot. And then the dross would come up and he would scrape it away. And the dross would come up and scrape it away. The dross is all the impurities to keep the cold keep the gold from being incredibly valuable. And the more impurities that are removed, the more valuable it becomes. And the apprentice looked at the goldsmith and said, how do you know when it's pure? And the goldsmith said this, don't miss it, it's good. The goldsmith said, when I can look in and see my reflection clearly. And God is looking at me and he wants to see the reflection of Jesus clearly. God is looking at you and wants to see the reflection of of Jesus clearly. But for that to take place, you've got to parack your sins. You've got to get rid of the dross. You've got to do away with everything that needs to be chipped away that's not Jesus. And you have a choice. You can choose sin or not sin. Right now, right now, we all have that choice. And you could choose the life he has for you or not. You could choose to be on the cruise ship and partake in the beyond extraordinary life. Or you could sit with the crumbs. And some of your crumbs are pretty good, but they're not near as good as what God has for you. So right now, let me ask you the most important question I can ask in this moment. Where are you with Jesus? Just like Daniel, beg Nebuchadnezzar, give your life to God. Do it God's way. I actually, right now, if I, could, if I could get to you, and actually I can, so come on, it's you and me. I would beg you, turn to him. Let him love you. Let him bless you. Let him mold you. Let him guide you. And let him intervene in your life. Right now, that could be yours. The Bible tells us there's two steps we take to begin a walk with Jesus. That's what the Bible calls a relationship, where we go through life together. And so there are two first steps you take. The first is you pray a prayer. And you tell Jesus, I want to commit my life to you. I want you to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from them and break them away from me. And I want to be free. I want all the sins parked. I want them all broken away along with the hurt, along with the pain, along with failure, along with shame. And I want all that from you. And I ask then for a new life and a new way of thinking and a new heart to love in a better way. And I want that abundant life. You pray a prayer and tell them that. In a moment, I'm going to lead that prayer and I ask you to pray it. That's step one. Step two is this. Step two is you got to make it known. Now, by the way, a lot of people pray the prayer and stop and they don't do what Jesus asked them to do next, which is to make it known. Let people know that you have said yes to Jesus. You've committed your life to him. And to do that, we're going to ask you to do this. We're going to ask you to text in amen, amen to 69922. The word amen means the truth. It means for real. That's why we end our prayers with in your name, amen. It's the truth. It's for real. I mean it. Now, let me be really quick what's going to happen. You need to make it known. Texting amen alone will not do that. 
So we're going to ask you to text an amen using an iPad, a phone, a computer, uh, whatever. Text an amen, and then we're going to get right back to you. And we're going to ask you your name because you matter to us. We don't want you anonymous. We want to begin a connection. Uh, by the way, we actually don't want anything for you, uh, from you. We want things for you. We don't want something from you, before you. And so when you let us know your name, we're going to have people start praying for you. Then we're going to send you an electronic copy of The Purpose Driven Life that tells you what to do next. It's one of the best-selling books of all time. And it'll tell you what to do next to find God's purpose for you. Then we're going to offer you next steps to take that are customizable to you and where you are in your life so you can live with God the way you should. We want to do all this with you and for you. And we don't want you to be alone. But you got to make yourself known by texting amen and then getting back to us when we get back to you. This could be the moment of change. This could be your point of victory. This could be where you're opening your door to God and his life for you and his blessing. You need to pray the prayer with me. By the way, if you love God, pray for people right now to pray this prayer. Don't tune me out. Tune in and pray for people to say yes. But right now, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me, and I know you died on the cross for me, and you died for my sins. I pray you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'll heal me from hurt and from pain. I pray you'll free me from anything that would hold me back or hold me down. But most of all, I pray you'll make me yours. I pray you'll make me alive. And I pray you'll make me brand new. So I say yes to you. And if that's all you could say, that's all you could say, just do it. Say, I say yes to you. If you didn't pray yet, you say, I should have done it. Say, I say yes to you. I say yes to you. And I say yes to the life you have for me. So take me now and make me yours in Jesus' name. And now here's the word, amen. Amen. The truth, it's for real. But if you pray that prayer, I'm not kidding, right now, text in and then let us interact with you so we can help connect with you and help you connect with God in, in a more deeper, a more real way. And we want that for you. May you find God blessing you. May your life be like, like what A.W. Tozer said, on a cruise ship where God has a predetermined course but may all the choices you make bring you into the abundance that Jesus wants you to live in and the life he wants you to experience. God bless you and have a great night.